I'm not Joshua Chapolsky. Today on the podcast, we discuss universal basic income, Julie Newmar, and Charlize Theron's middle-aged badassness. I don't want to waste one minute. Let's get right into it. So, obviously, things are different this week. Josh is not feeling good. Um, He doesn't have COVID. Don't worry. But he does have a variety of illnesses. It seems like every part of his body has conspired against him this week. And he's seen a doctor. He'll be on the mend. He'll be back next week for show 200, which how are we there already? But this week, in lieu of our host, Master General, we have Craig Wilson, who is here with us. Uh, Craig is an editor at Input, along with myself. And he's here to bring a little uh, variety to the show. Hey, uh, it's great to be here, Ryan. Thanks. I've got my top hat on, my cane ready. Uh, I am ready for this variety show. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I hope you've learned all of the steps. (laughs) I have. Oh, yeah, I have. I mean, I've had a lot of free time. I don't know about you. So, Craig, you, speaking of your apartment, um, have just moved to this country from South Africa. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, it's actually, it's 10 months today. Uh, happy 10-month US anniversary uh, to me. It's been a pretty a pretty crazy 10 months. I mean, what a time. I guess the only thing I can say, though, is at least I didn't move here six months ago or five months ago. <laughs> See, the thing is, is that it's like, I say you just moved here because in New York terms, usually people have to be here for 10 years before they're New Yorkers, but... You being here for COVID means that, like, you're already, like, it, it's sort of like anyone that was in New York during 9-11 is just a New Yorker for life. <laughs> <laughs> if you're here for this, uh, in the eye of the storm or whatever, like, bless, you are a tried and true pizza rat like the rest of us. Well, you know, we joke that now all I need is maybe a hurricane and uh, perhaps to get mugged. And then, you know, I can take, like most of the badges off uh, in the first year. Yeah. I mean, you've been here for riots. You've been here for um, uh, pandemic. Yeah. A hurricane. Hurricanes are interesting in New York because don't let anybody with a small business hear this. They're a little bit fun. Cause it's like, <laughs> cause it's like you get to stay home and like, it's raining all day and that's kind of exciting. And like the power's in and out and it's kind of like camping. Um, it's, right. It's except sounds- you, you can play video games all day and like not feel bad about it and lounge yeah. around on the couch and eat things. And it's like a snow day, I guess, <laughs> for grownups. Yes. And, and, and the thing is, if you own a home, I'm sure it's tough when the tree falls and ruins your roof, but I live in an apartment building and it's, it's a little bit, I am a, I, I'm from New York originally and I have been through so many hurricanes that I don't even, I can't even remember all the names. Um, and so I get to say that, but yeah, you'll get to, you'll get one. Don't worry. But (laughs) when you say, I mean, aren't you from Long Island, Ryan? Level with us. I am from Long Island. Yes. Okay. okay. Long like Island enough, is right? it's technically the New York metro area, um, <laughs> but it also earns me a special badge because Long Island, it, I, it's hard to. 
I guess I don't know how much time you've spent there, if at any at all. Um, and None. I mean, any... I can point to it on a map. You know, I know which general direction to to go in, but yeah, that's about it. It's like the alligator head. Like it's like <laughs> New York's dump truck ass or whatever. <laughs> um, Long Island is weird because it's so diff. Every every twenty minutes that you drive, it's a completely different place. Like the Hamptons are on the same like island, the small island with like you know, completely run down, falling apart, small towns are in the same Island as like a peach farm where like, as far as your eye can see is just like American bounty. It's on the same Island as like, you know, Brooklyn, like it's all on this small place. And so I didn't know growing up that like everywhere wasn't like that. Like I, first off, I didn't know I was on an (laughs) Island, but I also didn't know that like I thought the whole world like that every 20 minutes was different. So I would go I, when I eventually went to like the Midwest, I was just like stunned. I was like, you could just keep going. First off, you could just go in any direction for a very long time before you see the water. But also it's the same for yeah. like 10 hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have it. There's a part of South Africa that's desert called the Karoo and you can drive through the Karoo for like uh, a third of a day. And it's just kind of unchanging, you know, flat to the horizon. It's a bit like New Mexico, I guess. Also that you feel if you break down, uh, you might die, um, which is refreshing. <laughs> but, uh, well, that was the whole thing. When I lived in Australia, we, were, we would go out to the bush and like you'd go out to see the stars or whatever. And the whole thing was like, you got to load your car with stuff because if it breaks down and you don't have <laughs> cell service, like you yeah. can die. And everything around you, all the animals and plants are going to try to kill you. <laughs> so like... try and kill you, yeah. Yeah, well, of course, the problem is I have, uh, in terms of this week's news, you know, I have the ignominious honor of sharing a home country with e- Elon Musk. We should probably discuss what Elon Musk is up to. <sighs> oh, heavens. Uh... <laughs> well, where do we start, right? I mean, they've been like three or four travesties this week we've got yeah. pronouns don't matter we've got uh, deals with bolivia um yeah yeah well where do, where do you want to start well i'll start with obviously the the easiest things to knock out are he said that pronouns he doesn't care the pronouns are stupid or whatever which i think was intentionally worded to be a dog whistle so that like he can say like if people freak out on him and he feels quote unquote canceled he can then say like Oh, I meant that it's stupid that we even have to use them. You know what I mean? Yeah, or that like, we have to even think about them. They just shouldn't matter, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah, can absolutely. pivot it. Um, and so that was annoying, but, you know, like not – he's, you know, vaguely red pilly, so that's not, like, shocking. Um, but then he just fully admitted, like, that he was down to coup wherever, especially Bolivia, if it meant he got what he wanted, uh, which is – I mean, you don't n- normally get work criminals just like like owning it you know Normally what i mean like, a little subtler, they yeah. pretend or at least like dick cheney at least would be like we had to do you know yeah, what i mean absolutely the war in iraq was justified they were there were wmds we had a reason you know even if the reason is a lie there's still a reason yeah he's just like i don't know fuck you <laughs> like what yeah. um so those are the easy ones to knock out i think the more complicated thing to talk about is his tweets about um stimulus packages and universal basic income for americans um well i saw i think i think i might be quoting you here i I think i saw a tweet that was like it's really easy to say that americans don't need money when you're one of the five richest or wherever he falls in that in that pecking order um yeah i mean i think it's really easy i i was talking to someone about this earlier this week and i think 
know, people say, oh, I don't understand how Elon Musk can be such an asshole. Or I don't understand how, you know, Jeff Bezos can voluntarily do all these things. They go, well, you know, it's a bit like if you've ever spent some time driving a fast car, you know, like you start out and you think I'm never going to be one of those BMW drivers who doesn't indicate and who rides up people's ass and who like, you know, gives people in slow cars a hard time. And then a week or two go by and next thing you know, you are that guy. You know, you're in the fast yeah. lane, flicking your lights, getting upset with people. And I feel like being a billionaire is just the natural extension of this, That except that it's magnified and it's sort of exponentially worse, which is that you've spent however long it is, you know, it's taken you to get there, maybe a few years, maybe a few decades, having people tell you that your shit doesn't stink. And then having telling people tell you that all of your ideas are valuable and having people tell you that, you know, what you say has real power because kind of money and power are now sort of indistinguishable. And so in the same way, I think that JK Rowling's would not get away working at her publisher by being a rampant turf because they would just go, you know, you can't represent us and you're a junior. So you're fired because she is the star. She can say what she likes. And because yeah. Elon Musk is this star, he, you know, has this pass to do things that in any normal circumstance, if he was a junior at SpaceX and he was tweeting some of these views and it brought scorn upon SpaceX, his ass would just get fired. Yeah, I think J.K. Rowling is a really good example of that because I think she always thought of herself as someone who had done the quote-unquote work. Like, she wasn't a racist. She wasn't discriminatory. She loved everybody. She had compassion. She's left-wing. And that may have been the things that she was doing, and she may have had left-wing positions for the 90s or for her upbringing. But when you become so wealthy and and beloved and told that, you know, Trump is Voldemort, and so you are the architect behind people's understanding of fascism, then you don't get confronted with your ideas anymore. Like, if you're a turf, nobody turns around and yells at you, and then you don't really have to think about it. You can just be like, you're wrong, because a million other people will come up to you and tell you you're right. And yeah. so you can be like, that other person was wrong, because I'm being told I was right, as opposed to, like, having to stew within... And live within the consequences of your your words and your choices and your views. Um, and I think it's the same thing for Elon Musk. And, you know, him talking about universal basic income, it's like, well, this is all theoretical to you. So, like, you're playing The Sims right now, but the rest of us are all facing a homelessness crisis. Uh, so many people I know are about to truly be homeless. Yeah. And, not, and they don't have parents' homes to go back to. And they don't have... So this isn't theoretical. And they are worried about their kids eating. And they are worried about what... Like, how does one protect oneself from a pandemic when you don't have a place to keep clean, even? Absolutely. You know? and, when, and, you know, and once you fall off those rungs of the ladder, like the battle to get back up on them, particularly in a country like this that is still so obsessed with the myth of meritocracy um, and that somehow you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And, well, we just see repeatedly that that's, like, demonstrably false. You know, when you fall through the cracks, it's really hard to get back up from it. And I think it's really easy for, you know, it's really easy for uh, Elon Musk to say, well, yeah, theoretically, you know, I'm not sure that stimulus is the best as like an economic uh, project in the long term uh, and as, as you as like a thought experiment and you go but but 
this is just so far removed from reality. And this is, I guess, what I find so frustrating. I think what a lot of people find so frustrating about him so much of the time is that there is just this disconnect. And it comes from that ability to do whatever you want without consequence. You know, I thought about without repercussions. I thought about the hearings that were meant to happen or start on Monday um, with Facebook and Amazon and, and you know, all of the the big tech firms and the massive sort of antitrust undertaking. And you know, part of the reason that they've gotten away with this and part of the reason we've gotten to this state for so long is that there are just there are just no repercussions for bad behavior. You know, Facebook, Facebook's standard may as well tattoo it on Mark Zuckerberg's face is, you know, I'm sorry, we'll do better. But yeah, you know, a fine, like the five, whatever, the five billion dollar fine, the share price went up the next day. It went up. Because that as a share of revenue is such a drop in the ocean. You know, it should it needed another zero at least. It should have been a fifty billion dollar fine. It should have been a quarter, a quarter's worth of profit or you know, God, revenues fine. Because without any uh, without any recourse, without any actual genuine punitive measures that hurt, it's you know, it's ridiculous to think that people are gonna change their their behavior. Yeah, and and I think we should clarify like Elon Musk was tweeting that he is anti-stimulus, which I think in his mind means giving businesses money to like keep payroll going. But he was pro universal basic income, which I think in his mind, he thinks that the businesses that weren't prepared for this should be punished, which I I understand. Like it's the uh, it's the belief that if a bank fails we shouldn't bail them out we should teach a lesson to other banks that when you fail you fail and that you don't get uh, a magic undo button on the backs of the american people because the american people don't get that magic undo button and i understand that what i don't like is that Again, to, to, this is theoretical to him, and a lot of the businesses that took stimulus money and that will need it again are underpinnings of keeping society functioning. Like, we can't have whole farm systems go under. We can't have every small business within the city of New York close and every restaurant and bar close. Like, that will devastate people, uh, not just in in a morale way or we'll all have to start over and it will be so difficult for a few months like it's devastating because these people don't know where they will eat and we will ha- and it will take so long to kick everything back up and frankly when all of the small businesses can't weather this and the large businesses can the large businesses will swoop in and we won't have small business anymore we'll have like monopolies and ever growing corporations and yeah, they'll so- just swoop in and buy them all on the cheap buy them for dimes on the dollar and uh, and you'll have an entire generation sort of ruined, unable to get back on the economic ladder at all. Yeah, I mean, and and frankly, UBI is a great idea. Like the pilot programs in Canada work, and and I I totally see why people want it. But in a country that doesn't have social safety nets and that is so anti-socialism and so anti uh, having public works or having any sort of uh, public education or uh, single payer healthcare, it, when you don't have the necessities covered and then you start cutting people a check as a replacement for that. And you start saying to people, well, you're getting a thousand dollars a month. So why should the, why should the state provide food for your kids? When you Trojan horse in 
you know, I'm giving everybody a thousand dollars. So then you can turn around and cut social programs. Um, you can go around and say, you know, why would we have single payer healthcare? You can buy it with the money we gave you, and then we'll have a thriving private economy. Mm. Then if you don't raise those payments to match inflation and you don't raise those payments similar to the way that we don't raise minimum wage, it means that those private companies, which are charging you for necessities, can ask for whatever they want. I mean, you can go to the emergency room with a gunshot wound. You're going to need to get treatment one way or the other. And then they can turn around and say, that's $250,000, please. Absolutely. And they do. And so in a country where those things aren't covered and instead you're getting $1,000 a month, that $1,000 doesn't mean anything. It doesn't Absol- like... Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is what pains me about the 600 a week too. This notion of cutting this. You're like, but do you know how expensive it is to live in America? $1,000 <laughs> doesn't cut it. Yeah, like if you want to pay healthcare and school fees and you know I mean just the basics that we consider that should be the measure right of the self-appointed greatest country on earth that anyone should have to worry about these things and I think about the like emotional t- like toll that worrying about working two jobs and living hand to mouth like what this does to people's ability to do other things you know I think people who think that UBI is some Firstly, there's a problem with equating socialism with communism, which happens a lot because, you know, if you paint it as 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 turning red, then you can get people against it, which is is ludicrous. But also, like a thousand bucks a month for a lot of people is not going to be enough for them to sit on their asses and do nothing, right? But a thousand bucks a month might be enough to quit that second awful job that you hate and spend some time setting up an Etsy store or, or doing with something your kids, that you're like into. raising your kids, which will then honestly is good for everybody. If parents can raise their kids and, and spend more time with them, they will have better mental health. They will have be, be educated better. They will be on the right track essentially. And I know it ends up sounding conservative to say, you know, we need to focus on the home and stuff. But in fact, we do. Mothers should not be working for jobs. They should be home with their kids. Fathers should not be out doing backbreaking labor when they can be home with their daughters and their sons and their various otherly gendered children. Like it, <laughs> it we when you create a system where everybody's getting the same healthcare and everybody's getting the same schools, the rich are are incentivized to improve that standard of care because they're going to have to use the same ones you do. That's why mm-hmm. like you know, our roads stay paved because the rich don't want them to be unpaved. It's the reason why, like, the fire department outside of places that, like, have gotten so absurd as to have, you know, private fire departments, um, the fire department has to function because, like, if my house is on fire, it it doesn't matter who I am or what it means or who, if I've worked sure, hard sure. enough for your approval, like, it will burn down the whole town. And so it is in everybody's benefit if we provide healthcare and we provide, like, food for kids and not just hand out money and say like spend it on whatever you want it's not the government's job to make you happy or to give you things it is the government's job to like protect the people serve the people to shape society in the way we want it to be shaped which is like empathetic and compassionate and so when someone like elon musk comes around it like the reason he wants everything to be determined by money and the reason why he wants like all government power to be a a transaction where uh, citizens are consumers and the government is just another business is because like he has a lot of money and it would give him more power. Like I don't understand like in a, in the U S I, I truly think people would sell their vote if that meant they could get like a cash payout and because we're desperate, but like we 
your vote is the only thing you have that is equal to what Elon Musk has and was equal to what the rich have. And it's the only way we can set standards for society that like this is what bare minimums should be in certain categories of the things we think are the most important. Um, I don't know. I, I, we're, I'm like ranting at this point, but it really bothers me because because I, I'm sick of seeing people who don't pay taxes and have such incredible amounts of privilege make calls for a life that they've never lived and a struggle that they've never had. Absolutely. Well, this is the problem. This, this intergenerational vision is kind of, it's it's both what's needed on, on one hand and one of the problems on the other. So, you know, we have the intergenerationally wealthy who don't need to worry about these things. But then we also have uh, people in power who are only concerned about their particular term, you know, and I, with the current administration, you see this, which is that Trump doesn't need to care what the world looks like in 20 or 30 years because thank heavens he'll be dead yeah. one way well, or another. I mean, but, that's the whole climate change thing, right? Like, it's like, I don't give a shit. And, and it's the same people who are bootstrappy who don't want an inheritance tax and don't want anyone who is wealthy is children to face the consequences of their actions, which is like, I thought the whole thing was meritocracy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, indeed, indeed. But this is, this is what we realize, right? This this the story that's told so we can get away with heinous things. <laughs> it's so frustrating, uh, but you know, I, so about I think... that, about that tech news. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think it's tough because, you know, on this show, we talk about this stuff, but it's like, we're in such a dark times and tech tech companies have accrued so much outsized power. Every tech story is like now at this point, a health and politics story. Sure. Sure. Well, we've built these beasts that we are ill-equipped to legislate because the tech companies move quickly and the legislation moves slowly and the uh, tech companies try things, you know, uh, ask for forgiveness, not permission. And the regulators try and regulate by example and so they try and extrapolate from past instances but you know those two when you try and put them together just don't align you know i'm thinking this week about the 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 upcoming hearings and i think about the stupid questions that mark zuckerberg was asked that just sort of suggested how little a lot of people fully understood how facebook works and and this is part of the problem is I think that there needs to be a greater uh, savviness to the people who are actually tasked with legislating these things, because otherwise it's kind of impossible. You know, how we, how are they meant to make sense of it, but how are we to expect them to come up with practical rules that actually account for the kinds of problems that rampant capitalism and uh, huge companies that never need to actually make money uh, have created. Well, speaking of rampant capitalism, not to change topics too drastically, <laughs> but there was an Xbox event this week, and I promise you I will connect these dots. Um, oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. Uh, that Microsoft showed off a bunch of new games that they're launching for their new console, the Xbox Series X. Um, and it was so weird because... In contrast to PlayStation, who like showed off these big budget projects um, that you will buy individually um, if you like them and then play on your console, Microsoft's whole thing this week was basically setting the stage for not selling their console, but selling 
Right, selling a like Game Pass Xbox to everything. As a, ser- as a service, yeah, like a yeah. Game Pass as as the console. And and basically, they, they're pitching themselves as the Netflix of games as opposed to pitching you a new gadget. But you know, which... part, of the problem, part of the problem with that is that it felt like every title felt like an Xbox game. You know, in the sense yeah. that every place with the PlayStation, they just felt like there was a lot more variety between the studios. There were the ideas just sort of stretched a little broader. The the look, the feel, the the aesthetics of the games were a little more disparate. Whereas the Xbox games all felt like Xbox games, and in a way, I guess that felt a little Apple arcadey. They just seemed to be well, this great unifying thread through them, which I'm not. I mean, I'm not really sure I want. Well, it's there's a couple things to that, which is like one. I get that they that the head they're not going to win the head to head competition with Sony because just at this point, like in franchises, exclusives, just the sheer amount of IP that Sony wields, they're not going to beat them, or they're never going to like best them. They might they're sure. at best they're going to be fifty fifty. Um, but I think also, you know, when you incentivize, you create a model like Netflix. There's a reason why Netflix shows are palpably different than the shows you got on network TV. And they're palpably different than the shows you get on HBO, even though their models are now sort of similar. (laughs) Because Netflix's thing is it doesn't need to be the best show on television for you to like tune in. It doesn't need to be the blockbuster event. They just need to have something good enough for you to watch on Friday night. They just need something good enough so you won't delete the service. and. Microsoft pitching itself in this way, the way that they're pitching it is Halo is not this year's Halo. Halo Infinite is this decade's Halo, and they're just going to keep updating it and adding to it. And similarly with Forza, they just dropped the number from the name because Forza <laughs> is Forza. And when you subscribe to Game Pass, you will get Forza. They may and have you will called not... it Forza Forever. Yeah, basically. And I don't think that that's necessarily bad it's just different and i don't know if it's what i personally as a consumer want because there is value to getting hyped up and there is value to like trying new things and there is value to essentially making the company earn it every time not that you know, matters, like not that matters for you though ryan because you're just gonna buy it all anyway right <laughs> i mean true but <laughs> the completest in you demands it but what what but it does matter because what what other consumers pick will shape what I get. <laughs> oh sure, sure, and how these things develop in time. I got to admit, I mean, I'm not a I'm not a first person shooter player. Uh, but I yeah, I was I still wasn't convinced by the Halo trailer. I mean, it's like I get what they're going for, which is like you know you like things are difficult and and and. Life is hard and you shouldn't have to pay 60 or 70 now or $120 for an experience. Get home, plug it in, download it, and then be like, oh, I don't like this. Like that, they're right. That sucks. That experience sucks. I have a backlog of games that I played for two hours and said, I don't really like this. Yeah. Uh, But you're also then saying that you don't have to earn it every time. Like you don't have to get me in the theater and get my butt in the seat. You are just TV. And so- At that point, like it, it, you, you've lowered what you're like. You've raised the bar for your worst, but you've also lowered the bar for your best. And I don't want to consume games in that way. I guess. I, I, I mean, 
I, for me, the best, the, the way I like to consume games the most is individual big stories that like really immerse me and I don't want to pick anything else up till I finish it. Right. Um, I like that. I like thinking of games as like novels. Um, mm, right, right. Whereas I like things, mostly platformers, that I can dip in and out of for uh, indeterminate, often quite brief periods and then forget about for two months and come back. Uh, I well, think that's you've that Nintendo has you cornered because that is most gamers. That's what most people want now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I also for the bigger games, there are some bigger games that I would love to spend more time with, but I want to log back in and then I want to get like to keep the, with the Netflix analogy, I want to get a previously on Zelda Breath of the Wild. <laughs> and I want to get an update like, you are busy looking for Korok seeds in this area of the map. You also spoke <laughs> to this fairy two months ago who told you to do X. That is what I would really like because that is my that is my biggest they problem. They always try. They always try to give you that in the form of some diary, like that's like two menus deep oh, or whatever. God, I, I don't want to read that reads. shit. I don't want to read that. I mean, exactly. I yeah. I mean, oh, no, I can't. I can't. Yeah, I just want to highlight thrill. I just want to highlight thrill. Well, uh, that's why I kind of miss, and I wish that it had taken off more. Was the episodic games where you would like buy a season pass and you'd get two hours of gameplay at a time. I loved that because I could play for two hours and then, uh, and I would have fun. But yeah. then I would be like forced to take a little break. But then you, when you went back in, they'd give you a little like previously on, and it would pick up from whatever wherever you were. Like I, I am remain a huge fan of Telltale and like narratively driven mm, games like right. that. Um, and not everything has to be that, but I wish that that hadn't failed so spectacularly. Well, aren't they trying um, again now? Isn't this uh, one of the Xbox titles we saw? Isn't that isn't that sort of what they're doing with Tell Me Why? Yeah, they're doing some of those. Um, and definitely, like, there are games like Life is Strange, which is from that same publisher. Yeah, that's exactly developer. what prompted it. That's what I was thinking of. Life is Strange, yeah. And and there there are some of those that exist. But what what's kind of sucked is that, and no knock, I mean, I don't, I feel bad, but, like, because people probably poured five years into these projects. The things that we saw from the Microsoft Showcase, I wasn't, <laughs> like you know, I have to play that. There was nothing that really like grabbed me where I was like, like Fable, I definitely want to pick up, but there was nothing that I would like. I feel like I walked away from Sony being like, these are three things I absolutely need to experience. And with Microsoft, I was like, I mean, I wouldn't mind playing any of these, but nothing like grabbed my mind and imagination. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I feel you. I mean, I just want to play Stray, frankly, on the PS5. I just want to play Stray. I just <laughs> yeah. want to be a cat with a backpack. That sounds great. Oh, my God. It looks so good. <laughs> this is it. This is it. There was, there was a clear title where I was like, I I, I have to... I, I shouldn't confess <laughs> this, but I'm going to. I have never owned a PlayStation or an Xbox, but wow. man, do, man, do I want to play Stray. You know, the, the primary problem is I don't have a television. I have a projector. And I know you can connect games consoles to yeah, it's not ideal but it's not ideal and also uh, it means that i can kind of only do things uh after dark you know i can only yeah. really do things at night because the blinds in my living room are not good enough to block things out during the day and that's kind of you know it's like when you go to the store and you don't buy snacks and sure a few like the same night you're like god damn it i really want snacks <laughs> but you've tricked yourself into a position where it's more difficult. That's how I feel about having a projector. So by not having a television, it makes it more hard to watch television, which is just me trying to fool myself into better behavior. Yeah, I, 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 I kind of get that because our living room right now, like we have a giant window that like is directly 
across from the TV. It's like the one source of natural light in our apartment. And right. it makes it impossible to really enjoy watching TV during the day. Um, and it, it it is good that, that we've cut that out because at least I've cut – I, since we've moved here, haven't really binged any TV, at least not in the sense of like all day, all night, just want to get through the season. Yeah, sure. I've definitely done like three or four episodes back to back, but like I, you know, I, I, it feels good to have that, have that like interfere with it a little bit. Um, and I, I actually have been playing a lot less video games since the pandemic hit, which you'd think I'd be playing more video games, but I would indeed think that you're, 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 you're quite right <laughs> because it's always there. I uh, feel like, you know, I'm like, Oh, well, I feel like I just did that. And like, maybe I should read a book. Maybe I should try to be productive in some way. And so I'm like self-conscious about it. Have you, have you read, tell me how, how many books have you read? Have you read any well, books? Oh, yeah, I've read like four or five books. Okay, okay, that is impressive because I have put four or five books on my bedside table (laughs) and I have looked at two of them. I've even read the first chapter of one of them and I have not, I have not gotten much further than that. Uh, I mean, listen, I love InputMag.com, but it does feel like I'm working a lot more than I was pre-core. Oh, you want to go there? Oh, absolutely. I, I Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like part of the problem with the with lockdown generally is boundaries. It's difficult in a lot of ways. I didn't necessarily think that I would miss commuting so much. You know, responding to to those open-ended Twitter questions this week, one of them was, you know, office, no office, somewhere in between, and definitely somewhere in between. I miss going to a physical space. I miss interacting with other humans I don't live with. I kind of miss the commute. I miss seeing strange people on the subway, but also the commute was a time to catch up on things that I didn't need cell phone reception for. So, you know, whether that was podcasts or my pocket article backlog or whatever, I miss going out. I miss going out for lunch, even if I wasn't going to buy lunch because I would still sometimes just go out to walk around the neighborhood for 25 minutes and like clear my head. And the problem is now that stuff is impossible because you roll out of bed and you log on and then you're on. And then maybe, maybe you take 10 or 20 minutes to have some lunch. Uh, But otherwise, you know, it's just really hard to switch. It's really hard to switch off. I, I found that that has been incredibly taxing. And I realize at the same time, I'm incredibly, incredibly grateful while there has been a bloodbath in, in media. I'm incredibly grateful to have a job and I'm incredibly grateful to have a reason to log on every day. But it is it is difficult. It's difficult not having that literal physical and then also mental separation between work life and and home life. And I can't imagine how hard this is for people, I guess, probably like you who are in who where that space is even less well defined, where you're working and your working and relaxing space may be the same single circle Venn diagram. Yeah, I mean, I was saying to someone this week that, like, the main way, and I had to stop doing this, like, I had to, um, I was differentiating between work and play, it was, like, I would take an edible. Like, it was literally, like, it became, like, it became, like, a ritual. I would take an edible, and then I was, like, like whatever I was doing could be fun as opposed to work. But it's Right, it's like you're, the- like you're, you're uh, clocking in and clocking out. You're like, right, <laughs> down the hatch? All right, we are off shift. But it's, like, it's even harder because... Listen, I had a hard time w- with 
the fact that my job was also the thing that I liked to do as a hobby. Like I like tech and I like video games and stuff as a hobby. And then when that becomes your job, you know, what's the line? Like, should I be playing the most recent release so that I can be informed and report on it and possibly like recommend it to people? Or should I just play the thing I want to play when I'm home? And also the same thing now that we're living in uh, a complete, you know, fucking nightmare swirl of uh, developing horrors. It's hard because when the news is your job, both you don't get to experience the news on a personal level where you get to like digest it for yourself as opposed to for your audience. You also like, you can't take a break from doom scrolling. Like our job is, I mean, you're a news editor, like your job is to doom scroll. And so like, I, you know, I was taught whenever I talk to my family, they're like, you know, you, you know, you, you just get so worked up and like, you know, you can't try to save everything. And it's like, but it is my job to like know everything that's going on and have an understanding of like all the issues and how they intersect with each other. And Absolutely. Yeah. It's so impossible it, to stay on top of it. And this is it. It's like the, the dangers of a very online life is that you, there was a time when it was like, Oh, Elon Musk said something stupid. And now it's like, Oh. Oh, Elon, Elon Musk is something stupid, stupid. <laughs> you know, and I, I'm going to lose an hour of my life because I have to write about it. Uh, yeah. But I'm not, it's not just an hour of my life because I wasn't going to think about it. And, you know, it's going to, yeah, this stuff is going to infiltrate my dreams. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's, again, it's we're very lucky to, to be getting paychecks, but it's still, it is still a struggle. And it is, you know, uh, it's hard because we have to do more work than ever in a situation like this. And we don't get as much free time, but also the work itself can't be what it can't be as good. And it can't be what we wanted it to be when we launched the site. Like, I mean, it's the same thing. So when the outline launched, we were fully just ready to stop talking about Donald Trump. Like we were fully ready for the outline to launch and then to like put a critical eye towards the whole world. And when the outline launched, Donald Trump got elected president and then it was hard to not always focus on it because it was the most horrifying thing happening. And, you know, we launched input with this idea of just like, we want to be able to go off on adventures that we're excited to go off on and bring a piece of it back for the audience. And we were excited to like do crazy, like my original title was special projects because we were going to do big projects playing within the world of tech and you know that's not an option anymore like we'd have a responsibility that's bigger than that and we don't really have the resources to do that kind of stuff and so it's you know in some ways we're working harder than ever but it's not like we have a ton i mean we do have a great website and i i'm not mean to to diminish anybody's work but it's not like we have the thing to show for it that we thought we would you know what i mean absolutely and the priorities have have had to necessarily and inescapably change and as uh the absent but not forgotten josh would say i guess one of the great thoughts and dreams and hopes of a trump loss come november would just be not having to talk about Trump all, oh my God. all the time. Uh, I think people think that we 
on uh, not just in this podcast, but also like I think people think in my regular life that I like obsessing over Trump. It's like, no, shot. I don't like it. it. It would be as if you said to me, like, God, you love obsessing over being shot in the head. It's like, no, I was shot in the head. Yeah, like, yeah or I like I really I like doom scrolling people. I really <laughs> like seeing moms in yellow t-shirts getting tear gassed in Portland. That's really how I get my jollies on the weekend, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's hard. And we, Josh and I try so hard to inject, especially in the podcast, a little of diversity and a little levity, but it's hard because it's like, I mean, it's hard to, not... it's hard to make jokes on the darkest timeline. It is. Yeah. It is. It is incredibly hard. Yeah. I was thinking I, to, to change tech briefly, but because things are getting dark again, I have been watching the show dark and I got to tell you, I've just given up because after season two, <laughs> it's just veered off in a direction that I am not like. I'm not willing to commit to, particularly in a time when what I need is like distraction, you know, and levity and lightness. But I also think that I think part of the Netflix and the Xbox problem is that I now have no loyalty. So if I, you know, I've paid for Netflix. If I watch two seasons of Dark and then I go, I'm done, I'm done. You have pole vaulted over an entire swimming pool full of sharks. I am out of here. Like I, my, my belief cannot be any further suspended and I just stop. I will watch 22 episodes of something and then go, nah, fuck you. You are taking liberties. I, I can't anymore. And this is what I worry about the games as well. Is It's just like when you have spent 70 or a hundred dollars on a game, it's like buying a, it's like buying a CD uh, or I guess an LP when you were a kid and being like, well, you know, I spent my savings on this. I am going to listen to Tori Amos until I like her. I used to read magazines cover to cover because they cost me $5. And I was like a teenager and I wanted to get my money's worth. And uh, this is uh, so obviously, um, I mean, we don't talk about this a ton. We talk about it at work a little bit, but like I'm super into retro video games. I think like, you know, game preservation is very important to me. And whenever someone gets into it with me, like, like they're like, Hey, I bought one of those little consoles you were talking about. Or like, Hey, I just, you know, I, I just got into nostalgia gaming. I'm super into the Nintendo 64. They always make the mistake of getting like an EverDrive or getting an emulator console and downloading every single ROM. <laughs> right, right. And you like... definitely should. You definitely, <laughs> the game preservationist in me tells you, you definitely should keep a copy of that somewhere. So you, you know, in case you don't have access to it, you will always have access to it. But don't have all of them with you. Pick one game you want to play and sit down and play it for better or worse. It was like when you would go to a friend's house and they would give you 200 gigs of music and you would go, well, no. And then I just don't touch any of it. And then eventually it became, give me the three albums or the five albums that have like moved you in the last three months because yeah, yeah. Otherwise, it's it's debilitatingly overwhelming. The tyranny of it's choice the is too factory. much. It's the cheesecake factory <laughs> problem. Is that the cheesecake factory has everything you could ever want? They're all okay. They're all pretty good, and there and there's no way to pick. It's like, do you want a what? What do you want to eat? Um, I don't know, a burger or a salad or pizza or tacos or a stir fry. Okay, I want a burger. Okay, well we have 100 burgers. <laughs> it's like I. How am I supposed to? And then you're just sitting there eating like whatever appetizers you've settled on, trying to decide on your entree. It just sucks. But, you know, 
Again, good problems to have. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I used, to have, I used to have these problems in supermarkets, and please report that I've mostly gotten over oh them. Oh my but god! I go to supermarkets and be like, oh, which kind of which which of the seven kinds of raw, uncrushed sea salt really speaks to me as a person? You know, which one is? I mean, uh, <laughs> like New York supermarkets are must be overwhelming in the sense that, like, I do know that Americans have like a million brands of cereal, or we have like you know a million brands of like white bread or whatever. There's like a million options for things that, like, like I, it was so much easier. It is so much easier whenever I'm abroad because they there are less options and they're usually higher quality. Um, but well, it's also, easy here. Just don't buy don't buy bread in supermarkets. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, our <laughs> bread is cake. But uh, it, it is also the thing of like New York is actually not that bad. When I in, in, in when I'm in Indiana visiting family, they have a Walmart. Let me okay. There is right, a Walmart. Right. The food the food deserts. I've, I'm familiar with this phenomenon. <laughs> But it is as big as an airplane hanger, and they sell cars in it, and they also have like fabricated homes and guns. They sell cars, cars in the Whole in cars. the Walmart. Whole wow. cars. They have a bank in there, a McDonald's. It's all within the Walmart. Like, and so you go there, and it you could be the it is. It's as if the whole mall was em- emptied into a junk drawer and kind of mixed up. You could be there all day and you're like, where are, for example, I need a red ball. They're like, well, there, we've got four red ball sections. And it, you're like, what? Uh, it is, it's, it's, it's both overwhelming, but it's also a little bit depressing because you're like, what a waste. It's sort of like we were, I wrote a piece about um, the Quibi subreddit this week. And Josh, every time we talked about Quibi, Josh was like, he just can't stop marveling at what could you do for the world with $1.8 billion? Right. Like, what right. could, what you, could like, you build? You, what dent could you make in malaria with $1.8 sure. billion? And we were like, we were like uh, wait, what if you can turn the phone sideways and <laughs> yeah. the show continues? Darren, what if Darren Chris were in five-minute clips where he pretends to be a pilot? Like, uh. what? <laughs> what are you going to get? Yeah, yeah. We're going to do TV, but we're going to cut it into... Seven minute slices. <laughs> Look, I mean, I feel I've got to. I don't. I don't feel. I don't feel for the two, the two top heads, the two big names, the two people who work because they, you know, they think it's fun, not because they need to. But I do feel for some of the rest of Team Quibi who were like, "I'm sorry, though, but we're you gonna work I, with this new company and have, have an all, option and have a job." Have- we have all been part of a project where you did uh, say to yourself halfway through, oh, this is going to be bad. Yeah, yeah like <laughs> and you, you were like, oh, this isn't going to look as good on my resume as I'd hoped. You're like, I got to finish it. it. Even if you were in high school and you're doing like a science fair project, you do step back and go like, oh, no. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and I think those quippy people had to be like looking at the dailies and seeing like the app builds and being like, Oh no. Yeah, yeah. we are <laughs> screwed and not in the fun way. Fuck. <laughs> and, and it's, you know, how do you turn that ship around? I mean, Quibi is, and this is going to sound so mean, but Quibi is kind of the Titanic where like they ha- they can't get off of it, right? Like they have such an investment and they've shot. Yeah, so they were much so content. convinced that they were too big to fail, that they yeah. were unstoppable, that. Everything aligned. They had the money, the big names, the right stars, the the writing talent. Plus, they got to attract people by saying, you'll get to keep your IP, which, frankly, I mean, frankly, that, that stuff was inspired where you're like, well... You know, how do you woo people away from the other channel? You you give them you give creators the thing that they 
really want and don't generally get offered anywhere. And even that <laughs> was not enough. I mean, the core concept is so flawed. I mean, the 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 idea that instead of that people would that you as Hollywood would be able to come up with short clips that would be more fascinating and interesting and varied and speak to more people than TikTok. Than TikTok. The, <laughs> the, 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 sh- yeah. the sheer hubris that that you would be able to create an app like with Chrissy Teigen that would be more fascinating to the world than all of YouTube is so insane to me. Like there's a reason why like, you know, it's really hard to pull off a, a prestige series like it's really hard to pull off a superhero movie so there's a reason yeah. why a whole industry exists to pull off this giant thing because nobody could do it in their home but when we can in our home do chrissy's court there's no reason you needed to spend 40 million dollars creating chrissy's court it's so bad it's such th- a bad i think it's interesting too because they argued that like this was going to be the commuter entertainment and then commuter entertainment fell away but i don't think that's why it's failed right that's been the argument oh you know jeffrey katzenberg is like oh it's the coronavirus there was no coronavirus this wouldn't have happened i'm sure that's not what jeffrey katzenberg sounds like (laughs) but but that's not been the case i think that doesn't matter even if you were commuting like it's just it just turns out to be a thing that people don't want it's the juicero of the media world (laughs) Well, it ends up people don't want a movie cut into five minute clips. They want like a silly podcast that they can pause and restart and that they don't need to put their full attention on where they want like TikTok, which is just so batshit insane that you can't look away from it. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And which is also where, I mean, people are doing really like amazing creative stuff with short form and Kubi hasn't done that. It's done long form that it's made into, it's like squeezed into a format that nobody wants. It's like it's like growing a watermelon in a box, except that people actually do want square water, square watermelons. It's a terrible <laughs> example. <laughs> well, what are you enjoying to keep busy? Do you have anything nice? Absolutely, I have the perfect thing, and it is it is so schlocky and cheesy and ridiculous. But last night I watched The Old Guard with Charlize Theron, uh, who I think they so call they say Theron. I think you say Theron in America. Anyway, Charlize, proudly, proudly South African. Her and Trevor Noah. Anyway, Charlize, what prompted it was a tweet where someone was enthusing about how Charlize has gotten to, I, I love that I just used the first name. I'm sorry, I can't help myself. Uh, I love that she's reached the point where she can just be an on-screen badass. You know, she's a proper A-lister. She can do whatever she, sort proof. of movies she wants. Yeah, she can just she can just pick movies. She can just be like, I am going to be an action hero for 20 years. And it's great. I mean, it is, I, I will tell you none of the plot for those people who feel inclined to watch it. I haven't watched a straight up like action movie, which is basically what it is. It's like an action sci-fi. I haven't watched a movie like that in ages. And it is cheesy. And every, you know, some of the the dialogue is laughably bad it's just so formulaic but you get to watch charlie's and a bunch of other like strong female leads and a bunch of like ridiculous cheesy characters beat each other senseless while a completely ridiculous narrative unravels and it 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 was superb escapist fun so the old guard on netflix that's my uh, my current vote for the week 
That sounds wonderful. I have not watched it yet. It is in my queue, but it, it it's one of those things that I'm waiting for a weekend. So maybe tonight will be a perfect hey. example. Um, I'm because it, it at the end of my horrible like or the horrible long slog through the news all day. The last thing I need is to go on an adventure. <laughs> well, <laughs> so. my problem is there are a bunch of things I've never watched like that I know to be amazing, but I have missed the period. You know, when, like when you're a student and you think, well, I'm going to watch these difficult art house movies because they're they're like part of a self education. Well, yeah. I am past that because I have possibly four or five hours a week to watch that kind of stuff. And so I want distraction. You know, I want to be, I, what I cannot yeah. handle, like I cannot watch Schindler's List. I have never yeah. watched Schindler's List. I suspect I will never watch Schindler's List. I am I'll sure tell you that this. it's an amazing movie. I'm sure it is wonderful and deeply moving, but I do not need to put my own snot on a throw pillow on a Saturday night. The real world is difficult enough. I will tell you this. I don't care for Schindler's List. <laughs> the actual list itself, I like. The film, okay, okay, not the film, so much. Right, right. Uh, stick to E.T. E. E. and Jaws. Spielberg's finest. Well, it's funny that you just said that because um, I have two nice things, um, one of which is actually related, which is that my husband is um, sort of like a cultural alien. He grew up in a very <laughs> Catholic household, and so he had no pop culture, no cable TV, no pop music, nothing. He had a couple of Britney Spears CDs that he got from his you said, you said Sorry, you said Catholic, right? Because all I'm hearing is Amish. <laughs> um honestly uh, meet his parents and those aren't that different <laughs> um he had nothing besides a couple of britney spears cds um a, an old computer that his dad helped him like get an n64 emulator running on and like i think he had pbs and so that was like his pop culture and so when I talk to him about like Nickelodeon or like, you know, the Disney Channel or like movie hit hit movies, like he had never seen Jurassic Park until I bought like premiere tickets for Jurassic World. And I said, oh, have you ever seen the sequels to Jurassic Park? And he was like, Jurassic World now? haven't seen Jurassic Park. And I was like, what? What? But this happens so often. I have been with this man for 12 years. I will literally just be sitting somewhere and I will say something like, "What?" oh, so I said to him the other day, we're sitting and I go, God, doesn't that remind you of that scene in The Wedding Singer? And he was like, the I've never now? seen The Wedding Singer. And I was like, I, you know, I, it makes sense that you haven't. And it's not like the biggest movie ever. But it's, it's one of those things we all take for granted that like most people have seen The Wedding Singer or, uh, you know, an Adam Sandler, Drew Barrymore movie. You know what I mean? Like, right, right. In which and, case you've kind of seen any of them if you just watch one of them. You're familiar with the form. Yeah. Yeah. So we put on, I put on... um you know, regularly I put on uh, classic movies with him and I took him through, I mean, classic meaning like I took him through every Batman movie, but then I've also shown him like <laughs> Casablanca. And then we've, we've sat down and we watched like the, you know, the Source family documentary, like all the things that for me are essential viewing, but it still isn't a dent in like what an entire childhood's worth of blockbuster trips would teach sure, you. Sure. And so he... We put on that movie, Isn't It Romantic, which was terrible, starring Rebel Wilson. <laughs> and I realized halfway through the movie that John did not know what this was parodying because John has seen no rom-coms. 
So I was like, you've never seen 13 going on 30? He was like, no. I was like, you've never seen Pretty Woman? He was like, no. I was like, you've never seen, like, uh, <laughs> The Wedding Singer was one of them. I'm trying to think what were the other ones that he's just never seen. I would, like, I, I think he's seen the Nora Ephron movies because I made him because I, I'm, like, a huge fan of hers. But he's never seen any other, like, like Notting Hill. He's never seen any of it. going to be great fun for you because you get to you get to watch them again. Well, that's And you get to watch them thing. with the excitement of someone who hasn't seen them which is a whole nother layer of joy when you get to see someone experience them for the first time except of course when it's something that you're deeply invested in and they watch it and you're like you're like watching them to see how they react yeah this is the moment where they're meant to be truly moved (laughs) and they (laughs) are not Well, I will say I have gotten because we've done this so much, we he's become a little bit inoculated to the like I'm watching you watch the movie thing. And I've gotten to the point where my expectations for him are just that he should like it. Like I, oh, I just get good. only get upset if he like doesn't like the thing. Yeah, yeah. Like. If he's like, like, well, you know, that was uh, it was a bit shit. I just yeah, I just need a vague like I had a fine time looking at that. And I'm like, perfect, great, moving on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he'd never seen like Tu Wong Fu and Thanks for Everything, oh, Julie Newmar. Julie Newmar, which is yeah. A classic film. But he's a huge fan of drag. And I'm like, Had he seen Hedwig and the Angry Inch? He he's never seen Hedwig. He's never seen oh, Priscilla. What? Oh, it, it's what it, we need is a cock in a frock on a rock. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, this is I mean, I'm just a little jealous now, frankly, that you get to you get to have these experiences with your spouse. Uh, that's, I mean, that's it's fun. Magic. And it's also fun to like recommend him music that he's like, uh, Alanis Morissette. And I'm like, God, you're good. You're in for such a good time. Um, <laughs> but it is also tough because he does not like the Spice Girls. Like he does not get it. And I'm like, uh, are you fucking like, are you an idiot? Like, I'm like, they're the greatest, you know, funnest thing. <laughs> you know what? Give him time though, because I, for a long time, I loathed, the Spice Girls, but I also loathed Nirvana and I loathed a bunch of other things because I was a teenager in the 90s. And so I had to be contrarian in some sense. And so Nirvana, I was contrarian because I, they were just too cool. It was just like too mainstream. And Mm -hmm. the Spice Girls, I was like, I was too old. You know, that was a thing for 13 year old girls when I was, you know, 19 or 20, but some time passes. And similarly with, uh, our Lord and Savior, Britney Spears. For a long time, I was like, ah, Britney Spears. You know, it was because I was 15 or 16, probably the same age as Britney Spears, come to think of it, when Hit Me Baby One More Time came out. And I was just like, oh, you know, this is this is awful. I want to talk about Smashing Pumpkins and Soundgarden and Trent Reznor. And, you know, this was, and now I'm like, my God, what a performer. I mean, what a performer. I mean... You know, she's just amazing. And we've treated her so badly. <laughs> there's time for all of this to come around, is what I'm saying. I think that, you know, if you give John long enough, you just the problem is he's so late to the game that you've kind of got to give him the 20 years the rest of us have had to realize the artistic merit of these things. Uh, <laughs> and then maybe he'll come around. Yeah, at a certain point, oops, I did it again, hits a little different. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> But for my my second nice thing, it it actually ties into that, is that um, this week was the finale of RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars 5. Um, (laughs) RuPaul's Drag Race now runs year to year, and there's multiple seasons airing, like, premiering at the same time. Like, right now we have 
RuPaul's Drag Race, we had RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars, and we had RuPaul's Drag Race Canada that were almost completely overlapped each other, along with RuPaul's Celebrity Drag Race, <laughs> and then there's RuPaul's Drag Race UK, and then premiering in the fall will be RuPaul's Drag Race Las Vegas Review. I don't want to de- I, I don't want to derail you, but when is he doing a fracking show? <laughs> it's fracking ridiculous, in my opinion. <laughs> But so we had the finale of All Stars, and it was funny because we've had some touch-and-go seasons of late, and it was really a great season, and um, the queen that ended up winning was well-deserved and very talented, and I forget how much that show can really, like, impact me as, like, a queer person, as a creative. It's, like, it it really it's you know RuPaul is a fracking evil demon, but the show itself is made by such wonderful, beautiful yeah. queer people and queer people of color and women, and it is it's just stunning. And the 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 level of talent you, that those girls need to have in order to win or even compete. I mean, the girl who leaves first can sing, dance, sew, is beautiful, is funny, right? Is, a quadru- you know I mean? quadruple or quintuple threat. Yeah, you have to be good at everything to get in the door. And yeah. so All Stars is a bunch of people who then went on to be like celebrities and refine their craft. And then they get to come back with something to prove. And so those seasons are just so good and they're so emotional. And so by the end of it, I was so in love with the three finalists and I had such a good time with the finale. But last season of All Stars ended in a tie, which if you've seen the movie Chi Wang Fu... Famously, the opening scene is RuPaul in um, uh, a, a Confederate flag gown as a character <laughs> named Rachel Tensions, who crowns the winner of the local drag competition. And the winner is uh, there's a tie. And so when that happened on an all star season, the two queens came back to like end their reign for the year and pass the crown along. And they were dressed as the characters from Tu Wang Fu who won their tie. And it was just a beautiful moment because it's just John a chef's, had just kiss, seen... chef's kiss moment. Yeah. Yeah. John had just seen that movie for the first time. And so he got the reference and it was just like a nice, like we've been stuck inside for so long, but things are starting to like congeal. And we're in like this, like, we, we, we had a nice moment amongst the quarantine of it all, and yeah. those are increasingly rare. So that was my nice thing. If you are anyone who has never seen the television show RuPaul's Drag Race and it sounds like something uh, that you would never want to watch, I w- implore you to push beyond um, what you imagine it to be and watch one season because you will be hooked and obsessed. Similar yeah. to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the name sounds ridiculous, but it is one of the greatest works of art of the 90s. So... I, I agree. I agree. And this actually maybe is like a perfect bookend to bring us back to, to where we started is that one of the things that I also talk to friends and family about that I appreciate the most about living in somewhere like New York, pandemic notwithstanding, is that even in the the sort of neighborhood I live in, even with the people around me, I feel like I can go out in the world I could go out made up in a pair of short shorts with some insane nails and a, you know, a Technicolor wig. And because it's New York, no one is going to bass an eyelid. Yeah. Because it is so important (laughs) not to care, but also that it's like, well, whatever, babe, you know, you do you. And I guess, that is one of the that is certainly one of the great and and different things that I have not lived anywhere which is quite so uh, so enthusiastic about its 
acceptance of all sorts of of colors and flavors. It's really refreshing to be like you can absolutely let your freak flag fly and if anything the problem is I wonder if if you're desperately looking for attention you might feel a little bit sad because it's so hard <laughs> to actually get it. Yeah, if anything you in that outfit would be probably the most normal person in in a 10 mile radius. Oh god, people or people would just be like, "Oh my god, look at him." Oh, he's shame. He's trying so hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's so clearly not him at all. God, he thinks he looks good. Babe, come here. Yeah. Oh, come here. Yeah. Oh, we need, we'll, we'll have a makeover. You'll, you'll be much better. You know, it doesn't need to be so obvious. Well, Craig, thank you for coming on the show and filling in for Josh. It has been a joy. Right. It's a delight speaking to you. And yeah, uh, let's do it all again one of these days soon. Yeah, Josh, get sick again. <laughs> no shame. Bye. Josh, get better. <laughs> Bye. Well, that is our show for this week. We'll be back next week with more tomorrow. And as always, I wish you and your family the very best. In fact, I've heard that your family is letting their freak flag fly and New York can't get enough of them. <laughs>